0: Now, this morning we want to interrupt our series and we're going to invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, we've already read the scripture passage, so I'm not going to repeat that, but I want you to keep your Bibles open to this passage and uh, follow along in the scriptures. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do is to... Uh, allow the Word of God to speak to your hearts Uh, I I really don't have a whole lot to say other than what's found in this book and this book is a a book that is powerful the Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword It, it convicts us, it encourages us, it revitalizes us it is a book that we can build our lives upon so please keep your Bibles open to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at this paragraph beginning at verse 3 through verse 11. Holy Spirit, open our mind and our hearts to your truth, uh, deepen our appreciation and love for this book. Pray, Lord, for our country today that we would turn away from sin and unrighteousness, that we would turn to you with all of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the great heritage that we have, but we sometimes sense that it is slipping away from us. Lord, help us to return to the God of our fathers and to live a life that is pleasing to you. Speak to us, Lord, in these moments, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A great struggles a call for great confidence and great courage. 247 years ago, our country became an independent nation, and amidst great struggle and bloodshed, America was born. The years 1775 to 1776 were valiant years for the colonies, years in which courageous men with great confidence rose to the forefront in american life history records that there were interesting events leading up to the signing of the declaration of independence on march 23 1776 patrick henry rose to his feet with great emotion and declared quote is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery forbid it almighty God I know not what course others may take but as for me give me liberty or give me death Unquote. on May 10th 1775 Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys attacked Fort Ticonderosa and seized the gateway to Lake Champlain at the same time the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia urging the colonies to put their armies in a state of readiness. On June 15, 1775, the Congress appointed George Washington commander of the Continental troops. George III of England denounced the Americans stating that they had proceeded with open and avowed rebellion. On December 31 to January 1, American General Richard Montgomery and Colonel Benedict Arnold attacked Quebec, but they were badly beaten. Montgomery was killed, and in another action, the British had burned the port of Norfolk in Virginia. On January the 10th, 1776, Thomas Paine published Common Sense, the first important document calling for complete independence and soon thereafter South Carolina created its own constitution and Congress recommended that other colonies do the very same thing on June the 7th 1776 Richard Lee of Virginia offered a to Congress a resolution that these colonies quote are and of a right ought to be free and independent states unquote by june 11th thomas jefferson was elected to a committee to produce a declaration of independence and began writing the draft on july 4th 1776 without one dissenting vote the declaration of independence was signed by congress president john hancock and ordered proclaimed in each of these United States let us never forget that independence came to America at great cost and we are living in a day and age in which we have forgotten much of the sacrifice and the bloodshed that made it possible for us to be the most exceptional nation in all the world this declaration of independence was a powerful document that declared that we were going to be free people this morning I want to speak to you about another kind of declaration and I choose to call this declaration a declaration of dependence But like the declaration of independence that declares our freedom this declaration of dependence is something that we as Christ followers have signed when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior and like the 13 colonies each of us as God's people face many battles we face many hardships and uncertainties and afflictions trials and tests and setbacks and Situations that are beyond our control oftentimes can either make us or break us. They can draw us closer to God or they can pull us away from him. And I believe that God in his infinite wisdom allows us many times to struggle, not because he is against us or not because he doesn't have our best interest in mind, but he allows interruptions in our lives. Affliction, suffering, chaos, missed opportunities to happen so that we would learn the lesson that we must never forget that our dependence must always be upon him. This signing of the Declaration of Dependence means that we put our complete trust in what Christ has accomplished for us. I believe that all too often we in the church and we here in America have become smugly self-reliant even cocky. We believe we can do whatever we want to do and kinda let the chips fall where they may but when the unexpected comes when difficulty and affliction come when economic uncertainty stares us down and our children cause us concern When illness or sickness comes to our homes, when tragedy strikes the life of a loved one, it's another story. I believe God's great purpose in allowing these kinds of pressure points to occur is to remind us over and over again that we cannot live without God, that we cannot live our lives without, outside of his circle of trust. And God's purpose is that we would be brought to that place in our lives on a daily basis where we no longer put our confidence in ourselves and we exercise complete confidence in him. And when we refuse to put confidence in ourselves and we have transferred our complete trust to the Lord Jesus, then each one of us have signed our declaration of dependence. Now it's very interesting to me here in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. It's a deeply personal letter between the apostle and this church that he loves. And in these opening verses here in chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. Paul relates his own experience of signing his own personal declaration of dependence. In fact, in this particular passage, Paul relates that he went through such a severe affliction, such a traumatic difficulty, that he even despaired for his life. And he was brought to that moment where all self reliance was not good enough anymore. And he put his complete trust and his complete confidence in God. And as we have entered our, what, 247th year as a nation, do you realize that most nations don't make it past 200 years? Most of the great uh, civilizations, they've lasted about 200 years. And we are now in our 247th year as a, a nation, and we are in desperate need of a visitation from God we are in desperate need of getting rid of our self-reliance and our our futile attempts to make it through life on our own strength and God's desire I believe on this particular weekend is that each one of us renew our trust in him and sign again a declaration of dependence upon him now I want us to look here very carefully at Paul's experience as he unfolds it to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. First of all, he speaks of his, his past difficulty. Uh, as you read the New Testament, we discover that Paul had a great desire to come and visit the Corinthian church. In fact, in his first correspondence with him in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 5 he had spoken of the hope that he had to visit them but he's been delayed and they wonder what's happened to Paul and now he begins his second letter he lets them know why he's been delayed and why his coming had been put on hold and so he begins by making a very honest admission you see this in verse 8 he says we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even for life Now this comes from a lip from the lips of a man who's walking with God he's a great champion of the faith and we need to understand that walking with God does not preclude difficulty, struggle, hardship, pain. It's all part of life. No matter who we are, whether we're saved or not, affliction, suffering, trauma is all part of the human experience. And it doesn't matter how close you live to the Lord, those kinds of experiences are going to come to each one of us. Indeed, Paul says that the pain that he was going through was so great that he didn't know if he was even going to pull through. He thought he was under the sentence of death. He was at wits and corner. He He was completely at the end of his rope. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at the end of your rope and you don't know what to do and how you're going to get through the next day? I have. It's not a fun place to be, is it? Not a, not a great place to be when, when it seems like everything has piled up against you and, and you don't know if you're going to ever survive or even work your way out of that situation. Notice in the last part of verse 8, he says, we despaired even for life. And that word despaired is a word that speaks to the fact that he saw no exit to get out of this trauma that had engulfed him. He felt pinned in on all sides. And in verse 9, he uses an even stronger expression. We felt the sentence of death. Paul felt because of all the stuff that had been happening to him, which had delayed his visit to the Corinthians, all these hardships, these difficulties, these afflictions, he felt the very sentence of death on his life. Now, the exact nature of Paul's difficulty... Uh, Is subject to a lot of speculation. There are some who think that when he speaks about these hardships and these tribulations, he is speaking about his skirmish with wild beasts in Ephesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15.32. Others project there was a time in Paul's ministry where he is stressed over the state of the Corinthian church. He sees all the sin. He sees all the problems. He sees all the difficulties that are happening among God's people. And he is so stressed out, he is overwhelmed with anxiety because of what he sees happening in the body that he loves. Still others believe Paul's referring to his shock and the aftermath of the threat on his life. After the Ephesian uproar as recorded in Acts nineteen twenty-three to 41. And still others surmise that maybe he's talking about uh, the sickness that he went through. That he had been for a prolonged period without food. He had been in the cold. He had been exposed to the elements. Uh, Paul went through all kinds of physical distress. And maybe this is what he's referring to. And still others, as they have reflected on what this might have been, they think it may have referred to the stripes, the thirty-nine stripes he received after being arraigned before a local Jewish court, as described in two Corinthians eleven twenty-four. Now we don't know exactly what it was. It could have been any one of those things, or maybe it was a combination of some of those things that caused him at this particular moment in his life to despair he didn't even want to keep on living because the pressure and the stress and the difficulty was so severe we do know that this adversity caused him to lose all self-confidence and place his complete dependence in God the one who raises the dead that leads us to consider Not only God's comfort, but God's ultimate purposes for Paul. They were two. Number one, God allowed this to happen to the apostle Paul. First of all, to rid him of self-confidence. And number two, to cause him to rely totally and only upon God. Look at verse 9. Indeed, our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But notice the next phrase. Look at your Bibles. But this happened to us, all this happened to us, notice, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, some of you are saying, come on, Pastor, you mean Paul had a problem with self confidence? I mean, wasn't all that ripped away when the Lord appeared to him on the Damascus Road and knocked him off his, can- uh, his, uh, his, his, his donkey and and God revealed to him who he was and, and Paul was miraculously saved after persecuting the church and killing so many in the Christian community? Wasn't all self-confidence ex- exercised from his life at that moment? Well, I'm sure it was, but we have to understand friends that we have an enemy and the enemy more than anything else works on us as God's people he he wants us more than ever to no longer depend upon God he wants us to depend upon ourselves he wants us to rely upon ourselves he wants us to do ministry in the energy of the flesh and yes I believe self-confidence was taken from Paul on that miraculous revelation from God but the longer we live the Christian life self-reliance continues to nip at our heels and cause us many times to just get into a what I call a spiritual coast Self-reliance says, you know, I've been busy serving the Lord all these years. Now's my time to take a rest. I want someone else to step up to the plate. Self-reliance says, you know, I've walked with the Lord a long time. I can memorize, I've memorized all these scriptures. I know the Bible frontwards and backwards. I, I don't need my time alone with God anymore. I can... I can live my life on my terms you know I've served the Lord I man I've been on boards I've been on committees I've been doing all these wonderful things for God for a long time you know now it's my time to just kinda kinda fall back and hope I'll tumble into heaven very interesting how self-reliance can creep into our lives many times unnoticed now if the apostle paul had to be cautioned about self-confidence and self-reliance how much more so do we personal adversity causes paul to question his human resources and to realize once again that he is insufficient for the great task that god has called him to he needed in the face of this trauma that had literally sapped the life out of him, he needed once again to renew his complete dependency upon God, the one who raises the dead. In his hour of greatest adversity, he signs a letter, a declaration of dependence. It's very interesting (coughs) if you look at what Paul says here in Corinthians, there is a very similar passage that Jeremiah uh, gives us in Jeremiah chapter 17. Keep your finger there in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, but flip over to Jeremiah 17 and verse 5 where we see Jeremiah's declaration of dependence. He says this This is what the Lord says Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when he comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives that's what happens when we put our confidence in ourselves but put a circle around that word but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in that was weak whose confidence is in him in God he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream it does not fear when he comes Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You see, it pays to depend upon the Lord. The Lord is our life giver. And when we trust him completely, he is the one that gives us this supernatural life that enables us to overcome. The Bible says... We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jesus put it this way. I have overcome the world. When our confidence and our trust is in the Lord Jesus, there is no obstacle. There is no affliction or battle that Satan throws at us that is too big for our God to handle. And that's what Paul is learning through this experience. And he's been walking with God for a long time. You see, all of us, we all need, no matter where we are on life's journey, we need to constantly sign this declaration of dependence. Otherwise, almost without even realizing it, self-confidence can come and take over. God's intention is that we keep our focus and our trust upon him. Don't wait for difficulties and afflictions and stress and trauma. Don't wait for them to come to you before you put your complete trust every single day. in the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Now, let's move on to Paul's personal discovery. You see this in the midst of his personal pain. He discovered several things about God. Number one, he discovers God's comfort. If you will read those first three verses, verses three through seven, 10 times in those three little verses, he speaks about the comfort of God, God's comfort that we can personally experience because he is a God who is the father of compassion. He is the God of all comfort. He surrounds us with his presence and his comfort when we are surrounded with difficulty and affliction. And he whispers quietly, notice, you're not alone. Look at this. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our troubles. You are not alone when the stresses and the burdens and the afflictions and the things that you don't understand in life come to you. You have a comforting Savior. He comes alongside you, and he does it with a purpose. Notice, so that, put a circle around so that. He comforts us so that. We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Do you realize that every time you're going through a difficulty or something that you wish had never happened to you, God is preparing you for a unique ministry that only you can give to another person that's going through the same kind of affliction. I am convinced That God will only use us mightily when He has tested us thoroughly. And you can go down and take a look at all the great men and women that have ever uh, been champions for Jesus Christ, and every single one of them have experienced pain beyond measure. And the greater the pain, the greater the comfort and the greater the preparation is for us as the body to administer comfort and encouragement to others that are going through the very same thing that we have gone through and we can come alongside them and comfort them with the comfort that we have experienced from Jesus. Isn't this incredible? It's amazing. See, this is how the body ministers to the body. We can go through these things and scream and holler and get mad at God and say, why is all this happening to us? Or we can say, thank you. You're preparing me for ministry to others. You are taking my affliction, the things that I don't understand. You're deepening my dependence upon you, and you're enabling me to be equipped to minister comfort to others that are going through, and many times it's the exact same thing that we ourselves have gone through. Paul discovers that this is God's plan. Through the personal pain he experiences, God is preparing him for a ministry of encouragement to others. When we're in the midst of of pain, uh, when we feel that all the walls are closing in on us, when we can't figure any way out, and we see absolutely no good on the horizon, that is the time that we need to just put all of our anxiety and our care upon him and trust him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves you see he is a God of compassion there's not a thing that we experience as human beings that first of all does not pass through the heart of God he knows you better than you know yourself I mean if he knows the number of hairs on your head He knows certainly about the difficulty and the stress and the pressures of life that sometimes are so great that we throw up our hands in despair and we feel the sentence of death just like Paul does. But Paul has found that through all of it, God has a plan. And through the pain and the the discouragement and the, the disorientation he's experiencing, God is preparing him. For a wonderful ministry of encouragement. Notice verses 6 and 7. He says. If we are distressed. Here it is. It is for your comfort. And salvation. If we are comforted. It is for your comfort. Notice. Which produces in you. Patience. Endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Isn't that fabulous? You you, you see... I fear that so many times we as the people of God, we, we can get into what I call a spiritual coast. We know the Bible so well. We've got everything all figured out. There's nothing new that we've heard. And we get into this kind of a spiritual la-la land where then when difficulty and stuff comes, it so surprises us. Did you realize that as the people of God, all of us have a target on our back? (laughs) The Lord never promised that things were going to be easy. Do you ever see that in Scripture? Some of us have the idea, well, hey, man, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Everything ought to be perfect and A-OK. Praise God if it is, but more often than not, because of our humanness, we're going to experience these things that sometimes are just overwhelming. And that's why I believe the longer we walk with God, the more important it is to do a daily checkup and make sure that we're not relying on ourselves and our dependency is totally upon him. And then lastly, I want you to notice Paul's prospect of deliverance. Paul's learned through the painful experiences of life that he needs to transfer trust from himself to God. He's discovered God's comfort and he's discovered God's plan. And now he speaks confidently. Look at this in verse 10. I love this. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. Remember, he's under the sentence of death. He doesn't see any way out. But now he says because his focus is now on the Lord he says he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us notice the tenses that he uses he says he has delivered us he's referring that to the past he will deliver us he's talking about the present situation And he also says, Hey, there's going to come some times when what I'm experiencing right now, I'm going to experience in the future, and the God that helped me now is the very same God that's going to deliver me in the future. Man, that ought to cause you to shout. Oh, my. Do we understand this? Does it ever really resonate with us that this God who we say we love, he promises not only to deal with past problems and past difficulties, present problems, present difficulties, but as we trust him, he promises to deliver us from future things that may be more complicated and more stressful and more mind-boggling than what we ever thought. We could ever experience. But he has confidence. Notice that God will deliver him. Now how can he have this kind of confidence? Notice he says in verse 10. On him we have set our hope. I want you to underscore that in chartreuse. On him we have set our hope. And the tense there is a perfect tense. Which means he has set his af- his attention on the hope that God has provided, and that hope is not something that is happening right now, but the effects of that hope are continuing on into the future. He can be so confident because his hope no longer is in himself. He's gotten rid of all self-reliance. His hope is in God, and that hope is continuing on and on as long as he will Continue to put his confidence and his trust in the living Lord. He's able to overcome the past, the present, and even future difficulties because his hope is in the Lord. Now, there's another dimension to this that we forget. Paul is confident about this, not only because he knows that God's at work in his life, but he also has this kind of confidence because God's people are praying for him. Notice verse 11. Four little words, don't let them get by you. As you help us. You see, he's gotten rid of self-reliance and self-dependency and his hope is in God But Paul says, that's not quite enough. I need some more help from you. Notice, as you help us by your prayers. See, that's why it's so important that we share our hearts with one another. That's why life groups are so important. We can share our struggles. We can share our difficulties in a small group of people. And know they're going to keep quiet about what we've shared. And they're just going to pray. You see, God raises up the church to be an army of prayer warriors. Do you realize that when we are praying for those that are going through these kinds of difficulties and distresses that Paul's talking about, we are actually lifting up the arms of those that are in distress? What a ministry. Sometimes people say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. You, all of us can what? We can pray. pray. We don't need more teaching on prayer. We need to start praying. There you go. All the time. When we're aware of some of our brothers and sisters that are struggling, going through severe affliction. Not only do we need to encourage them to put their hope and their confidence in God. But our part is to pray for them. Our part is to encourage them. Our part is to bring their needs before the Lord Jesus. And notice. What the end result is. It's all, it's all in the book, by the way. Uh, it's all right here. Look, look at the results. Here it is. Then, here it is. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer, underline it in chartreuse, in answer to the prayers of many. Do you realize that when we are praying for one another the courts of heaven are rejoicing <laughs> how many of we how many of you need prayer today now nah, some of some of you I don't know and there's still some old self-reliance there I think we all need prayer, don't we and we need to pray for each other and so I'm gonna ask you to do something this morning inside your program is a little piece of paper Little piece of paper. It says, My Declaration of Dependence. I want you to write down on this little piece of paper what your greatest need is. Okay, just write it down. And then I want you to sign it. Because when you let the Lord know what your greatest need is and you sign it, You have signed a Declaration of Dependence. But then I want you to tear that off. And what you have placed up here without your name, you don't need to put your name at the bottom, but I want whatever that greatest need was that you listed, that you're signing your declaration, you're going to trust God to meet that need, I want you to write down that need on the bottom of this. Do you understand? Then I want you to tear it off this morning, And leave it in the chair or on the pew just leave it just take it tear it off because what we're going to start doing as a family we're going to start praying for your greatest need why are we doing this because we want to experience many thanksgivings from God are you ready are you ready as we share whatever our greatest need is and as we pray for each other's greatest need? Those of you, I think, up in the balcony, there may be some tables up there that you could leave yours on because I, I think your chair will kind of flip up and it may go all over the place. So just put it on a table up there if you can do that. But just, just write down what your greatest need is on the top, you keep that in the front of your Bible, and then you leave the other piece. And we as a church family are going to come alongside you and pray for God to meet that need, whatever it may be. Are you glad to be belong to the family of God today? I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. We have all the resources to succeed in the Christian life. All we need to do is to trust and obey. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, how we love you this morning. We rejoice in you. You are great and greatly to be praised, and as we study the life of Paul and understand that it doesn't matter how close we are to you, we all struggle. We all go through things that we, we don't know which way to turn, but this morning we're turning to you, and we're getting rid of all self-reliance and self-confidence And we're signing a declaration of trust in you. And then we're inviting the people of God to come alongside and pray for that particular need. So that many thanksgivings can be offered to you. Oh Lord, we love you. Bless East Bay today. Bless every person that is here today. May they sense the love of Jesus in this place. That we always want to lift up Jesus. You are our king forever. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. Be with you now. And evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. And Maranatha. Lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.